This is Palm Sunday, and uh, a lot of our churches have uh, great traditions around this day. I know in the church where we're a part of things, uh, the children are given palm branches and they march around the church sanctuary honoring Jesus. Uh, sometimes there will be a reenactment of the events of that triumphal entry into the city. In some churches, they'll take the palms from this year's Palm Sunday and then burn them and then use the ashes for next year's Ash Wednesday. And uh, in some churches, there's a, there's hymns that are sung only on this day. And in our church, we have often sung the uh, children's hymn, Hosanna, loud Hosanna, the little children cry. Yes, so many wonderful traditions around this day. So, Palm Sunday is a familiar day, part of our tradition. But why? What, what's the big deal about the day? You know, I wondered what people thought about Palm Sunday. So, um, a couple of weeks ago, I asked a really good friend what it meant to him. Now, he's a, a wonderful Christian man, a, a good Bible student, a good theologian. And after we talked about it a bit, he, he said, well, actually, not very much. He said, and as we talked about it, we agreed that, that it seemed to him to be sort of uh, just a start to Holy Week. And that's about it. And maybe in spite of all the traditions, that's kind of the way you feel about it too. Sort of observing the day from a distance. I think I can guarantee you that if you had been there on that first Palm Sunday, um, you would have not been on the fence. You would have not been standing back with your arms folded. You have, would have been utterly carried away in the excitement. I've only been one time in a massive, exciting, sweeping away religious celebration. It happened in South America, in Peru. Uh, we were there on a Good Friday and up in a, a medium-sized town up in the Andes, a Quechua town, and uh, they were celebrating the events of Good Friday. And the, there was a big group of people out in the streets, so my wife and I went out to see what was going on, and they started moving down the street in celebration, and uh, we almost got trampled by the power of, of the crowd that was moving along in their excitement. But I think it was something a little bit like that on that day when Jesus entered the city. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this. Palm Sunday is described in all four Gospels. That's unusual. Not much is in all four Gospels. The death and resurrection of Jesus, of course, and Jesus' baptism is mentioned in all four, but in terms of events that are described in detail, there are only two other events which are in all four Gospels. One is the feeding of the 5,000, and the other is this story. So obviously it was important to the early church and it was important to the Holy Spirit. So when we find something in all four Gospels, we need to perk up and pay attention. There's something special for us here. Now, we're going to begin in what may seem like an odd place. Did you notice how much attention 
is given to getting the donkey. Yeah, in each of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, over half of their verses are dedicated to getting the donkey. Yeah, over half the verses describing the triumphal entry are dedicated to getting the donkey. Now, that's especially striking in Mark, because Mark is so efficient with his words. Some have called his gospel the the Reader's Digest gospel because he just gets to the point. So, somehow, the details of this donkey must be important. What's going on? Well, let's take a look. These first three verses in Mark 11. Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. Now, doesn't it seem a bit odd that Jesus just sends these disciples into town without asking anybody's permission, and they are just supposed to untie this donkey? By the way, a colt is a reference to a younger donkey. Uh, They're to untie this donkey and take it away. I mean, what's that about? That has puzzled a lot of people, and some have suggested that uh, Jesus must have made a prior arrangement with the owner, and that could be. But it also could be, as many have suggested, that Jesus is simply exercising his knowledge and his authority. Everything is his. He can do as he chooses, and that could be also. We actually don't know which one it is. Now, hold on to that, and let's look at the next few verses. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. Now, Maybe that hasn't struck you as it has struck me, but that's always seemed like an odd interchange. It has actually reminded me of the first Star Wars movie. Right toward the beginning of the movie, when Luke and Obi-Wan and the two androids are in the back seat, C-3PO and R2-D2, and they are stopped as they enter the city by Imperial stormtroopers because they're looking for these two droids. And the uh, stormtrooper asks for their documentation, and Obi-Wan, who has the Force, says... You don't need to see their documentation. And the stormtrooper says to his fellow guards, We don't need to see the documentation. And then Obi-Wan says, These aren't the droids you're looking for. And the stormtrooper says, These aren't the droids we're looking for. It's such an odd scene. I love that scene in the movie. And this encounter between Jesus' disciples and the 
bystanders in the street kind of reminds me of this. Is this something that Jesus is simply superintending, um, making all the pieces fit together in, in just this way, and people have no control over their own thinking? Well, it could be. But there is a simpler explanation. Uh, This was a small town. Jesus often visited there with his disciples. In a small town, everybody knows everybody, and they know the regular visitors to town too. When they saw the disciples untying this donkey, the people in the street likely knew they were Jesus' disciples. So when they said, the Lord needs it, the bystanders who had pretty great respect for Jesus. He was a popular man. Said, well, if Jesus needs it, he can have it. And he's promised to send it back. So sure, take it away. It could be. Now, we don't know. Which was it? Now, what do we do with that? I've set this up on purpose to make a point right now. What do we do when we don't know for sure what the explanation is? If you are familiar with the Bible and and read it regularly, you know that you run into this from time to time. There's situations where we just don't know which way to understand it. And that's where we bring in an, an important interpretation principle, a way to understand what's going on in the Bible. When there are different ideas of what might have happened, as in this case, then you ask the question, what do they have in common? What do these two different ways of looking at those separate parts of the story have in common? That will nearly always take you to the most important understanding of the story, and that is certainly true here. What's the big deal about the donkey? And the answer is this. Jesus is orchestrating this day of celebration with him at the center. No matter which way you think it happened, the big deal is that Jesus is making it happen. He's set it up to enter triumphantly into the city. He's set it up to have this massive crowd with their shouts of praise, with the palm branches waving, with the cloaks laid on the ground. And you may say, well, of course. But actually, this is startling. Because until now, Jesus has vigorously, vigorously discouraged any excitement over his presence. That's especially true here in Mark's gospel. For example, in chapter 1, where he heals a man with leprosy. After the man is made clean by a simple word of Jesus, Jesus tells him, see that you don't tell this to anyone. And in chapter 5, when he raises the little girl back to life, He spoke to the people in the room, a couple of his followers and the parents of the little girl, and he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. In chapter 7, when he healed the man who couldn't speak and couldn't hear, 
it says Jesus commanded them, those who had seen this miracle, he commanded them not to tell anyone. When he asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, well, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. We read that Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. And in chapter 9, the story of the transfiguration we saw just a few weeks ago. After they were coming down from the mountain, after Jesus had been displayed in his glory, appearing with Moses and Elijah, the Shekinah cloud of glory falling over him, the voice of God the Father coming down upon him, it says Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone until he had risen from the dead. Time after time after time, Jesus had said, keep it quiet but not today. Jesus is making this happen. Jesus is orchestrating this exuberant celebration. He is saying, here I am. He wanted the crowd to enthusiastically praise him. We read in in Luke that when the Pharisees told Jesus to rebuke his disciples for what they were saying in praise of him, that Jesus responded with these words, If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Jesus was going to be praised this day in a dramatic way. And that's the big deal about the donkey. And that immediately makes us ask, why would Jesus do this? After three years of saying, quiet, don't say anything, why is he doing this? Well, in five days, Jesus will be on the cross. He knows that. It has always been his destination He's been telling his disciples repeatedly. It's recorded three times in Mark that he taught them this. Once just the the chapter before in chapter 10 where he told them, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. It is this action, this triumphal parade into Jerusalem, this massive, excited, joy-filled crowd, created and encouraged by Jesus, it is this that will push his enemies into action. You know what will happen in the next few days. You know how the plot will thicken. You know that Judas will betray him, that Jesus will be arrested. He will be tried. He will be mocked by the soldiers. And finally, he will be crucified and he will die. This was no accident. He didn't finally get caught because he wasn't careful. This was the end toward which he was headed from the day he was born. 
Notice the theme of the celebration of this triumphal entry. That Jesus is the Messiah King. This would become the legal reason for his execution. Do you remember that the crowd before Pilate said that Jesus claims to be Messiah, a king? And remember Pilate's question to the crowd? Shall I crucify your king? And his word to Jesus, so you are a king then? And remember the soldiers mocked him for being a king? Put that crown of thorns on his head? Put that fake scepter in his hand? Put a little robe around his shoulders? Hail, king of the Jews, they said. And remember the sign over his head? Nailed to the cross, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Yes, what the crowd was shouting this day became the very reason for his execution. The specific details about the donkey don't matter. Whether it was an authoritative act or a prearrangement, whether the conversation was something like in Star Wars or a simple recognition that it was Jesus' disciples who wanted the donkey. What matters is that Jesus is making it happen. He is tipping over the first domino that will lead to the cross. So let's take that whole picture in mind. And let's be there right now as Jesus enters the city. Put yourself in the crowd. Who might you be? One of the disciples, someone that he healed, or maybe he healed your daughter. Maybe you are someone who is impressed by his teaching. Put yourself in that crowd and that powerful people movement sweeping down the road and listen to the praise. Hosanna, literally in Hebrew, Hosanna means save. It be had become just a word for praise, but on this day it had depths of meaning. Hosanna, save, and oh yes, he will. And others are crying out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now that could refer to any pilgrim coming to Jerusalem for the Passover, but Notice Luke's version. He tells us that the crowd had something specific in mind. Luke writes, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Yes, the king will who will obtain his throne by going to the cross. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, cried still others. Yes, David had been the king during the golden years of Israel. And the prophets had promised that one day another one would come like David, a new David, the Messiah. And the people were beginning to believe that this Jesus, he was the one. And of course he was. But a different kind of Messiah than they had expected. Not one who came to kill, but to be killed. 
so you're there. In light of everything, don't you want to join in honoring Jesus? What would you like to do with a full understanding of what it mean, meant to enter that city that day, a full understanding of what it meant to tip over that first domino? What would you like to do? Shout his praise. Wave a palm branch. Lay your coat on the road. Some years ago, when I was a pastor in a local congregation, we had a Palm Sunday celebration, and the choir came in in a, a acted-out version of the triumphal entry. And, of course, at the very center of, of this crowd coming into the, the sanctuary was Jesus. And it was pretty dramatic. And one of the guys in the congregation just immediately stood up, took off his suit coat, and laid it down in front of Jesus for him to walk on. And my immediate reaction was, well, that was a cool thing to add. I'm glad someone planned that. But I talked to the man afterward, and I said, uh, so that was uh, planned ahead of time, right? And he said, no, no, he said, it just seemed like the right thing to do. And somehow or another, there's a right thing for us today between the shouting of praises and the waving of palm branches and the laying down of our coats before him. This is Palm Sunday. Jesus is tipping that first domino. It's begun. It will end at the cross. And then there's this last little section. It might feel like just sort of a wrap-up to the story, but it's so much more than that. He entered Jerusalem and went into the temple and he looked around at everything. The temple and the tabernacle before it was the picture that God had been painting for over a thousand years as he prepared the way for Jesus to go to the cross. Every day for centuries, thousands upon thousands of sacrifices were offered for the sins of the people. Priests in generation after generation offered those sacrifices. People probably thought that the lambs and doves and bulls, that their deaths somehow forgave the sins of the people. Most people didn't realize that God was painting a picture, preparing for the day when there would be one sacrifice from one perfect lamb, who is also the perfect priest who offers his himself as the one sacrifice for all time, for all people. A picture that God had painted for centuries to prepare the way by getting people's heads to understand how much they needed forgiveness and what was needed to be done that they might be cleansed. And now the picture is being fulfilled. The reality has come. The one that all this preparation was for, he is here. 
he is about to offer one sacrifice for all people, for all time. And as Jesus looks at the temple, he knows it's all been pointing to him. He knows what it means. He knows how hard it will be. In just a few days, he will cry out, Oh God, if it is possible, take this cup away from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. But as he looked at the temple, he knew that's why he was here. That's why he tipped the domino entering the Jerusalem that day. There's one last thing we ought to see about the donkey. You may never have heard this word before, the word tumbrel. The donkey was a tumbrel. A tumbrel is a common cart. It's been used for centuries in farm work to carry stuff. It's a two-wheeled, roughly built cart. But it is best known for its use in the French Revolution for carrying people to their execution at the guillotine. For someone during that revolution to step up into the tumbrel in Paris had only one outcome. The donkey is Jesus' tumbrel. As he rides into the city, there is only one outcome. And so we praise Jesus this Palm Sunday. And let's do it with the whole picture in our minds. Hosanna. Save indeed, Lord. Save us to the uttermost. Oh, you are so blessed, King Jesus, as you come in the name of the Lord. So blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David the kingdom over which you reign, Lord Jesus. Blessed are you, Lord Jesus, the Lamb who is giving his life for the salvation of the world. Hosanna, save. Hosanna in the highest. <laughs>